Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 214 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have a very special cast this week. Richard, taking the week off, he's not here. Uh, Krim is joining us, though. What's up, Krim? How you doing? I'm doing well, and replacing Richard this week, we have a very special guest, MPL player, uh, really awesome magic player, content producer, streamer, Seth Manfield. So, uh, Seth, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Why don't you uh, give us a little introduction? I'm sure I missed some of your laurels and accolades there. Uh, For the audience, I'm sure most people know you, but just in case, uh, we have some people that aren't familiar with you and what you do in the magic world. Oh, yeah, I appreciate you for having me. I I and also distinguishing between Saffron Olive and Seth because we both have the same name, which is kind of um, <laughs> if Krim is asking, the hey Seth, Seth podcast, yeah, <laughs> what's up, Seth? <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm I have been playing Magic for 18 years now. The la- the past maybe six ish, I've been actually doing this as my full time gig, just playing. And, produ- and producing content so and then of course recently we had the big MPL announcement of the 32 players that are going to be a part of that and I'm fortunate enough to be one of them so that puts me in kind of a unique mix um, a, a, a group and yeah I think I've distinguished myself throughout the years throughout my years of playing both a world championship win and a a pro tour trophy which are now mythic championships but at the time it was a pro tour so yeah i think i i think you are widely considered to be one of the best players in the world i know when you talk about over the last like five years or so the best players I, your name comes up pretty often on the short list of like best current players in the world so uh definitely pretty impressive and uh, as far as content where can people actually find your content if they want to check you out streaming or your videos or articles and whatnot yeah so if you want to check me out at uh seth manfield mtg on twitch that's my twitch han- handle and I'm normally my I'm still kind of getting my stream schedule set but definitely Friday nights is my my big day and then um, I'm still yeah I've only been streaming for kind of about a a month and a half now so yeah it's it's still new to me and then I've been writing for TCG player for over I think five years now so if you want to check out my articles or my videos TCG player would be the place to do it as far as the comment you made about being the best player, one of the best players in the world, I appreciate that. I try not to talk about it too much, but it's nice to, that people notice that. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the other things that you uh, just started to do, and we'll wrap back around to uh, streaming. That's something I wanted to ask you about as we go along. But the reason uh, that you're here today, or one of the big reasons, is uh, you have a new course with one of the sponsors of our podcast, which is SpikesAcademy.com, talking about sideboarding, uh, I believe. So... uh, can you let us know, and before you get into it, I guess I should say, if you are interested in Cess Course and Spice Academy, uh, they have some really great players, really cool classes. I believe the first 200 people that sign up for the course using the code SIDEBOARDING can get 15% off. So thank you to Spice Academy for supporting the show. But I want to hear uh, your thoughts on this course, Seth. So uh, what is this course? How did it come about? Give us some info on that. 
Sure. So yeah, the Spikes Academy course is unique. It's unlike anything I've ever done before. I actually went to Europe to film the course with um, some of the, the the guys that run the Spikes Academy, and we went. I've never gone this in depth about any any subject in magic, and then I kind of felt I've kind of like sometimes I have trouble explaining myself, but. I kind of unfolded all of the different layers that go into sideboarding, which is just kind of like this thing that I think a lot of players just kind of do where they have, you know, their sheet of paper with their their notes about their ins and outs for them for a matchup and things like that. But I went way, way, way more deep, uh, far, far deeper than that. Um, and so there's there's a bunch of different modules. There's 40 quizzes, which I I came up with the quizzes by myself. So you can watch me on video, kind of, and it, yeah, it's it's an amazing course. I've never like it's it's basically beyond a written article. Like it's it's basically like it's probably the best piece of content that I've ever done. No no offense to TCG Player because they're not affiliated with this at all. <laughs> but yeah, sp- the the course is great, and I think a lot of players it's something that they struggle with. Like they want to know like. Whenever I get a quest, have a question about a deck that I've played or I've done well with, it's always, "Hey Seth, how do I sideboard?" And rather than asking me that question, maybe take a look at my uh, Spikes Academy course. <laughs> I, I think that's a really good point. I think sideboarding is, uh, especially for, I, I mean, I guess all players, but new players especially, it is one of the hardest things to get about Magic to the point where we've kind of seen Wizards acknowledge this to some extent with the focus on best of one on Magic Arena, specifically because sideboarding is so difficult. So we're not going to really get into the uh, pluses and minuses of best of one on Arena and all that, but it is definitely a really hard and complicated uh, aspect of Magic. So uh, your course, Seth, is this something for newer players? Like, how how basic do you begin? Do you need to have a pretty good grasp of sideboarding to actually take advantage of the course? Or or is this for someone that is at the very basic beginnings of learning how to sideboard as well? You know, that's, that's a great question. I, I designed the course from my own perspective and I have more knowledge than someone who's just a beginner. So there may be things or aspects of what I'm talking about that a beginner might not pick up on, but then there will be other aspects that they will pick up on. I think, you know, a an FNM level player is kind of where I would like probably you want to have at least some some experience playing playing in a competitive environment, but beyond that, like there's a lot that that goes into it. I think if you're especially if you're an aspiring like my my main target audience if I were to, was to pick one target audience would be someone who's aspiring to kind of go to a magic fest and and do well but but hasn't really reached that level yet yeah so so it sounds like it really has something for pretty much everyone maybe if you're brand new to the game uh, you want a little bit more of a foundation first but it sounds like that covers pretty much all ranges of competitive players uh what do you think grim do you have any sideboarding questions about this course that you want to get out there um i mean i don't have any questions but i do agree that it is a crazy thing to kind of like grasp if you're a new player and i mean i guess when you think about it i i'm i've I've played for a minute so 
uh, you know, like for me, sideboarding has just always been a part of the game. But then uh, I, I've, I've played with friends, you know, friends who are just starting up magic or starting up magic again. And like, and the only like knowledge they have is like kind of like tabletop, right? And so, like Seth had mentioned there, like people people that have almost gone to like a magic fest but haven't quite yet. And uh, like sideboarding to them is an entirely different thing. They like, uh, oh well, why do you do this on the play? Why do you do this on the draw? So you know, it it is a very tough course to like think about. So. Uh, that that's why <laughs> actually I was talking to Seth about it last night on stream. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna actually have Seth coach me, so <laughs> I I, <laughs> I don't at least I, 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 the goal is to get better than 64th place at the Invitational. <laughs> uh, well, well, your sideboarding isn't gonna come into that too much. I think, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. No, but you know what? I'm gonna still have Seth coach me anyways. <laughs> So, uh, before we move on to some other topics, uh, do you have any advice, Seth, for, uh, let's say, a a brand new player? Let's say someone that's brought into the game by Magic Arena, which is bringing in a lot of new players. That person is used to playing Arena mode, uh, playing best of one matches, and they're like, all right, I want to go and try an F&M, or I want to go and just experience a Magic Fest. Do you have any advice for those players, sideboard-wise? Because these are players that maybe have never built a sideboard, had never sideboarded with someone else's deck that they uh, net decked or whatever. Is there anything uh, that those players should keep in mind if they're just starting out their journey into sideboarding? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think you just want to kind of have a grasp of what types of cards in your main deck. Like, look at your main deck and and think about the types of cards you might want to take out in, like, a couple of of matchups like you don't have to go through all right there's like 12 different decks or there's however many different decks but maybe you're struggling against like winning your game ones maybe you're struggling against a couple of decks and just like think about those like what could i have maybe it's life gain like something as simple as i need to have a way to gain life against red aggro and so I need to have like that, like a specific type of effect, or I need to have a removal spell, or I need to have a counter spell or a discard spell, rather than going into specific cards because you can you can find that like we're, there's the internet, right? So like we can look at cyborg guides, or we can pull up something that has cards that you might look at for for a deck. But I find that thinking on your own is really like as a game plays out and thinking especially if you lose what could i what could have helped me in, from this position yeah i think uh i think that's a uh, a really good point and at a basic level i mean that is the simplest sideboarding is you're trying to get your bad cards out and get in good cards for the matchup uh, as far as your course is it designed for any specific format is it mostly like standard or is it kind of is it generic in a way where it applies to all formats uh, who is uh, format wise who is it specifically for sure so there's actually six different modules to the course which cover and then within the modules there's actual different lessons laid out one of the modules of the six is specifically limited but if you're not a limited player you can just you know the the other five five have plenty of contact and then i've got a specific section for for limited but other than that because limited is it's very different just because the the decks are so so much smaller and the the cards that you're working with like 
maybe it's maybe it's sealed and you're potentially boarding into completely different colors but in terms of standard or modern or even legacy it's it's all there like my course i use some applications that are more recent so like i'll talk about a card like a duress or golden demise or something that I've, has recently come up because that's just like something that i remember right now so there are a couple of standard applications in terms of me saying okay this card works in this situation but i wouldn't say it's format based it's kind of sideboarding you know wherever and if you want something more format based there are other other courses beyond mine on spikes academy like i know reed did specifically a mo only modern but mine is is not like that Anyway, uh, we're going to move on here in a minute and talk about some other topics why we have Seth here, but is there anything else uh, about sideboarding? Oh, yes, that's right. The other thing I wanted to ask about, Seth, is uh, something that people say about sideboarding, and I think it's really hard for uh, new and even intermediate players to grasp, is uh, a lot of pro players talk about building your deck uh, as a 75-card deck rather than a 60-card deck with a 15-card sideboard. Uh, what do you? Is that something that is that how you think of deck building personally? And is that something that uh, comes up in your course, the idea of building a 75-card deck rather than 60 with a 15-card sideboard? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Saffron. That's actually one of my my modules in the course. And I, exactly, like best of one, that's, that's different. You'll see decks specifically designed for best of one. Here, I like to think about like, how do these 15 cards interact with my main deck? Because they really are, like, I like to think of them together um, in many ways. And in some situations, what I'll do is, because I want to have the maximum amount of ability to swap, swap cards in and out, what I will do is I will often move cards to, like, I'll have cyborg cards in my main deck to make room for more cyborg cards. Because I like to prioritize in best of three magic, sideboard games and being able to just like sometimes i'll have a worse a worse time in my first game because i'll have like a lot of different cards in my main deck but that'll allow me to like kind of mix and match a lot better after board so yeah exactly like i don't i don't look at it as okay this is my best possible configuration for game one I look at it as, this is my best possible 75. Yeah. Uh, well, this sounds like a really awesome course. I, I might have to sign up <laughs> and, uh, and take this course because it, it sounds it sounds pretty helpful and pretty awesome. Just because, ah, it's such a tricky topic. So, seems like a really great addition to Spikes Academy. So, I'm excited for that. Uh, any other sideboarding thoughts from uh, either Seth or Krim before we move on to some of our other topics? Um, yeah, make sure to check, like, if you want to know more about building a 75 is a great example of one of the topics. I talk a lot about oversideboarding and how maybe you board in too many cards, you kind of want to do too much. And then I also go into specific deck archetypes and what that means, like what, how do you sideboard from an aggressive perspective, or are you a control map? I kind of have something in there for everyone, so I... 
And uh, and if people want to check out this course, just a reminder, it's at spikesacademy.com, and uh, still the first 200 people that sign up uh, can get 15% off if they use the code sideboarding, and uh, if you want to know more about the course, it's spikes underscore academy on Twitter, and uh, what's your Twitter, Seth, if people want to hit you up on there and ask you uh, about Twitter is at Seth Manfields. I've got, I've already got a bunch of positive feedback from it, from the course, and the, the discount is still going. I really appreciate it, and uh, yeah, th- like if you've been following me th- throughout the years, and you want to know a way you can, fo- like, give back in some sort of way, go ahead and join Spikes Academy because I think it's and and they're still growing. I've been really impressed that they've been very professional. <clears throat> yeah, they seem like they're uh, doing a really good job. Uh, they we had Reed on maybe it was like three months ago now when his modern course dropped. And then, I mean, Paulo had the original course. So it seems like they're consistently putting out new courses with some really great players. So I'm excited to see uh, what's next for Spice Academy as well, because it seems like they're just constantly putting out really unique content that uh, it's it's not what you get at all the other websites. Like, it's so in-depth on certain topics. So it's a really unique niche, I think, that Spice Academy has ca- uh, found in the Magic community. Yep, for sure. I'm, I, I don't think I'll be the last Spikes Academy course. Like, it seems like every time a course comes out, the interest continues to, to build around it. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, anyway, since we have Seth on, we wanted to ask him about some pro stuff that, uh, normally on the podcast, we have a, you know, a, a news and somewhat casual perspective. So we got to take advantage of having a pro player on. So, uh, Seth, probably one of the biggest changes for you, I assume, in the past year or maybe your entire Magic career is the start of the Magic Pro League. And you were one of the 32 that are in this league. So, uh, what what do you think of this Magic Pro League? Uh, how big of a life change has this been for you? You know, it's been something I've always been dreaming about, honestly. Like, so I've been playing Magic, right, at the at the high levels, the highest levels of the game, but it hasn't really felt like, I don't know, like, it hasn't been recognized in the way that I would have liked it to have been until the Magic Pro League, which... It really hasn't even fully kicked off, right? We've got this Mythic Invitational coming up at the end of this month, month, which I see as kind of the start of of the year for the for the league. And I know, uh, Krim, you'll be you'll be joining me there, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, that's good. Th- these events, like th- that event, is a million dollar prize pool, right? That is huge, especially considering that the the field is what 64 players and that's just one event like there's going to be multiple events similar events like that so like the pro- the money is great like i i have a contract specifically from the designers of wizard like the designers of the game that i love to play right like i've wanted to have a more intimate connection with wizard of the Co- wizards of the coast and now i f- like i know that a lot of the magic community is very jealous of me, right? Because they want to, like, we always see what can Wizards of the Coast do to make you happier in this, whatever respect it might be, right? There's always going to be something that we can complain about, right? Because we're magic players, and that's what we do. We, we love to have something that's there. But for me, this is like, I can stop complaining for, for a little while. Like, I can sit back and relax and just kind of enjoy 
enjoy my time to shine. I'm hoping that it, it this continues because it seems like a really great thing. Um, the streaming has been like now I'm now I know what streaming is. Like I, before, I was just kind of like in the dark about that in many ways, and that was my own fo- my own ignorance. But it's kind of opened these doors that I didn't know were gonna were gonna open up for me, and I'm. I'm thankful. I'm looking forward to it. I'm also kind of like, I get nervous for these types of situations when I'm playing against these other, like, insane players. Like, these are, like, you're, we're, we're splitting hairs, right? If we're talking about me or talking about Paolo or, like, Reed or, like, you know, it's like, so we're all, gr- we're all great players. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be one of the greatest experience. It's, of my life to to be a part of this and yeah like i'm i'm looking forward to it i'm excited yeah i think it's pretty awesome from an outside perspective too to have uh, 32 of the best players in the game that are uh, streaming for so many hours a week and going to be doing like these tournaments so there's so much high quality magic content now that wasn't necessarily there. I mean, there's always been magic content, but you were talking about picking up streaming for the first time. That's not something that you really did before the MPL came around. So we get all these cool streams and cool content. There's like podcasts that have come out with some of the MPL players. So it feels like the security that having uh, this contract opens up a lot of doors for doing cool things that maybe you just couldn't do before if you're so focused on uh, your normal content and tournaments to make up your magic income and to support your life and uh, whatnot. Oh, exactly. I mean, I think if you looked at the Twitter account of any pro magic player within the past few years, you'd probably hear something saying like, well, how come I'm still making pennies for for doing this well or something which which is an it's it's an exaggeration right but you could you could definitely see statements like that where um because well the truth of the matter was we weren't like even though i would maybe do well at a at a grand prix or do well, have a a good pro tour finish here or there that would just kind of make up for other expenses like my my travel my ho- my hotel my my eating out every every day or or like renting a a place with for a week to test with with my teammates so like there's all these other expenses that would go into the actual tournaments so for me i wasn't making money from wizards of the coast really uh maybe i was in my very 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 specific situation but in general none of us were and part of it was yeah like some of the 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 costs to as i just mentioned so tcg player was how i was making my living but now like wizards of the coast has really really stepped it up and taken it to that next level and it it kind of makes me feel like the celebrity set like i know that people know me but it's almost this like celebrity status like you're one of these like 32 and i don't I don't know, like, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, but it's, it's great. Like, so far, it's great. It's great for me. Yeah, it seems, it seems like it is super awesome and exciting. Uh, How has the streaming been? One thing I get a lot of questions about from people, uh, especially now that Magic Arena is taking off, is I want to start streaming but I don't really know how to do it. And you're kind of in a unique position where you have just 
had to go through this uh, on your own and started streaming. So how has that transition been, and how have you liked streaming so far? You know, I didn't know how I would like streaming, because um, I haven't had... I Sometimes I have trouble talking to people. Like, I've had bad interviews on camera and stuff like that, and so I was like, maybe people just won't like me. Um, I, I had no idea how many viewers I would get or how popular it would be. Or if I could even play on MTG Arena competently. Like, I was scared of trying a new thing. And, but, and everything, all of this is new to me. Like, I didn't know about streaming. I didn't know, like, like playing MTG Arena, I'm only a couple months, few months into that. Crafting my, my decks with my wild cards. It's, it's fun. Like, it's, it's new. It's, I, I didn't know how big of a fan base I really had because I had no way of knowing until I started streaming and there was like a few hundred people that would pop in and they wanted to watch Seth Manfield play magic and do whatever I might be doing on stream and I can... Now it gives me an easier way to interact with my fan base. Like before I didn't really have that. Like maybe you could come up to me at a tournament if you saw me and ask me a question or you could pop a notification on Twitter my way, but like for, really there was there wasn't this this interaction of hey I can go on stream and just ask Seth the question and he'll just answer it right there and it's and he I you, you can watch him play games and it's not just me right like I like streaming but I now I also really like watching streaming also so like. Whenever I'm not streaming, I find myself, like, <laughs> like I find myself on other people's streams just, like, chilling and just, like, w- watching whatever they're, the mess they're <laughs> getting into. And they give me ideas as well. So that that is a really fun aspect of it. And it just kind of helps build the community even more. I think, like, after the last, I think it was, like, the pre-release streamer event type thing, like, that was huge. Right, like Ravnica Allegiance. I think the numbers were just like m- went through the roof, as far as I could tell. As far as the the amount of viewer, the viewership, everything is kind of just getting getting big. And I have no idea if it's if it's a bubble or if it can just keep keep growing. Hopefully, like it's been great so far. So I'm hoping that my audience and just the the community in general, the Twitch community seems like it's expanding <laughs> yeah i think that's uh that's definitely true and it it takes a while so i expect that uh the npl players and you too will uh, keep seeing growth as it goes along because i think a lot of streaming is just like the consistency and showing up every week and the audience starts to grow so it's definitely a really exciting time uh for magic in general as far as streaming uh, one other thing i wanted to ask both you and Krim about because actually you're both going to be in this mm-hmm. tournament is the mythic invitational which is coming up up in a couple of months so i'm sure you're both preparing and i'm not going to ask you to give away if you have secret decks or something it is a million dollar tournament so you don't got to give away any of your secrets but how has your preparation been going uh, for this mythic invitational tournament at the end of the month yeah you know it's really funny that you mentioned that and we're <laughs> sitting in the same call right now <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because Krim and I, we were, we literally battled each other like three or four, three, like a, a bunch of times, like while he was on stream. And <laughs> it was, it's, it's fun. Like it's awesome to just kind of like have 
players like oh the asian avenger like i recognize that name like i know who i'm playing against i can actually um after after the match i'm not gonna um, <laughs> do any ghosting or anything like that but in, in, in some in some cases i might already be watching his stream and i would have to actually leave the stream and come back to the stream because we got paired against each other in a match and yeah that, that happened last night <laughs> yeah we had a uh well yeah i we had some great games i won't go too far into decks i know they're, they're, they're relatively public but yeah um, we, we they're, sh- they're fun games uh and, yeah and they were definitely fun games you it, can you cool. can check out i'm i'm sure i'm sure there are vods somewhere that have the games logged you know if you really want to uh go to the asian asian avenger you know <laughs> watch me get destroyed <laughs> <laughs> well like what like well, the- didn't the, the mono white yeah. match game that we had was hilariously fun so <laughs> yeah yeah I, I so for for both of you what do you think of this best of one format i know seth you got your sideboarding class that is up on spikes academy but uh what do you think of best of one how has your experience been with that and more specifically uh, how have you been testing for dual standard have you just been playing best of one and, and assuming that that's going to be close enough or have you been finding ways to actually try to play dual standard uh, on arena yeah so for those who don't know what dual standard is it's basically a completely new format that wizards of the coast has designed specifically for the mythic invitational so we are going to be playing essentially a best a best of one match with one deck then a best of one or a best of one game i should say because it's a game is the same as a match or is is different than a match so one game with one deck then one game with your other deck and then if it's tied 1-1 then you play and you just choose one of those two decks so yeah as you're saying it's like a it's a duo standard format and that's and so yeah i'm trying to kind of juggle everything right i best of three has been the magic that i've been playing for forever i haven't known anything different until you know i'm i'm with everyone else here i'm trying to learn what all of this means it's not like i have some wealth of information a best of one like i've had no reason to play best of one but now like i do i'm playing on arena i'm getting used to it i think there was there was some negative feedback right because initially and by i think that players might think that that best of three is maybe more skill intensive or there's more involved with it because of sideboarding so part of that criticism makes sense but then you've got another layer to this format which is the duo standard of actually choosing potentially two different decks and how they might match up against the decks that your opponent might bring and then choosing one because like a lot of times in this duo format format i think like what, what are the odds? Like, 50% of the time, you're going to split 1-1, one, one, right? Like, you're going to win one, your opponent's going get, to get one of those, and then you're going to choose a deck for the game three. Like, it's basically a game three situation. And so, I, yeah, I, I've been playing on the arena ladder. Like, I've been ranking up. I, I just hit Mythic last night. I've been struggling. I've been losing a lot. <laughs> like... Ah, yeah, the ladder. losing, <laughs> losing is how you learn. Like losing is how, like you lose and you lose and you lose. Like I've been, I've, I've been spending a lot of time trying to figure this out. Um, what decks I might wanna, 
might want to choose for the tournament what decks are good and then can I brew anything like can I is even though the the arena metagame may be somewhat set there's always a chance right like for the last mythic championship I took a I played a demure mid-range deck which I basically designed myself so I I'm always kind of thinking you know how can I reach that next level and kind of set myself apart from what everyone else is doing in the tournament yeah oh uh, like pretty much this this whole duo standard thing has has been funny to kind of like test for it's like kind of interesting you know like it's like huh well I <laughs> I want to see a game like like a game three so I I've been playing with you know uh, <laughs> two separate decks I've been playing two of the same deck but with different builds one catered to like hate out an aggro deck and the other one to you know play every other version of like to fight a combo and and uh you know mid-range and slower deck kind of like play style so there's it is a new format and i mean like for me like i was originally not exactly sold on the idea of best of one when it happened um and and then and then like i I was actually kind of on the fence about it and then after playing it enough it, it it is just a whole nother format so it's just like when you when i think of it i think of it like yeah standard modern uh best of one you know i I just view it as another format so yeah uh, and and as and as you've seen from my stuff uh saffron like how i i talk like you'll you'll see my builds in best of one where people are like wait why are you playing this card main deck well it's because we don't have a sideboard so i'm just windmill (laughs) jamming like (laughs) unmoored egos in the main deck and i'm like wow that's a spicy meatball <laughs> but so that that's that's pretty much like how best of one is and like getting ready for it is it is trying to like prepare for the ladder <laughs> in a weird way so uh it, for me play like playing on the ladder has been helpful especially seeing as how i think deadlines are coming up for our deck lists yeah i thought i like i wouldn't necessarily like it because it was something new but i've been like i've really actually enjoyed it like I was skeptical at first, and it is, as you as you mentioned, a completely different format. Like, we're gonna have some some specialists. Like, if you're if you happen to be, let's say, an Esper Control <laughs> specialist, maybe you know, <laughs> maybe you're mm. thinking about I play only one deck, and you want to just play play. You can play the same. You can choose the deck the same deck. You can play the same sixty cards, and you can just play it as your only deck that means you just play it you play it again and then if there's a third game you just play it so like you don't have to choose two two different decks that's an option i think that actually adds another layer of kind of thinking well if there's actually a best deck or if there is a deck that you're the most competent with if it makes sense to just only play that like or why or what if or on the other other side of things why would it not make sense to only play one deck, only like the one the one deck? So there's a, a lot that I am still trying to think about. I'm sure you probably are as well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of tough. It's it's kind of tough. I I I, want, I I tried a few other decks and I just didn't. I don't know. Like they they feel weird. Um, so I'm like, okay, well let's try uh, playing one deck but making two variations of it. And, you know, so it, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, 
One other question about the Mythic Invitational before we move on. Uh, have you found it? Seth mentioned brewing and maybe trying to brew something for this format. Do you guys uh, think that brewing is more or less difficult in best of one compared to having a sideboard? Like, is it easier or harder to make those spicy under the radar decks actually work or doesn't actually make a difference whether you have a sideboard or not? I, I mean, I, yeah, I think that it's, like the, the the format is different. So like I'll look at a deck that looks like a brew, right? Like maybe it has a card like Dovin's Acuity in it. And I'm like, all right, that's a brew. But that's actually one of like the top decks, right? Like it's like, okay, well, is it a brew? Because it has Dovin's Acuity and Unmoored Ego and Mastermind's Acquisition. Because in best of one, Mastermind's Acquisition is a really, really good card because it allows you to it allows you to to access your sideboard, and that's the basically the only way to access your sideboard. So there's all these weird cards that if if you looked at the deck and you we talked about the what our conventional definitions of a brew in best of three, it might not apply to best of one. What about you, Grim? Do you have any thoughts? Uh, like for for brews specifically, I I think. Uh, I mean, I <laughs> I think there is a little bit of an edge, um, if especially as always. Just I mean, it is it is you get a little bit of an advantage if people don't know what you're playing. But I do think it is hard to make something work because best of one is a fast format. <laughs> it is a fast format. It, it feels like you know, like it, you don't want the wrong half of your deck. And you really don't want the wrong half of your deck in best of one. And I feel like in best of one, uh, variants can happen. Like it, when you're trying to, like, let's say for me, I've, I've been playing like some control decks on the ladder and like you hit all your creature removal in the control mirror. And that feels really bad. That's like the worst feeling in the world. Uh, like I have all these Kaya's Wraths versus, you know, my opponents absorbs into fairies. Uh, and, and, and like, but I've also seen some sweet brews. Like I've seen a, a Azorius tempo deck, like a flash deck that, uh, like that has been running around and that one's been really sweet. Yeah. It even has a, uh, Raph Capuchin and all of that. And you've got, you know, like you're still playing the control shell in like absorb to fairy negates, but you also get to play deploy. And I think, I don't know, like there, there, there's still room to always brew in best of one, and the new split cards have been pretty good in best of one, because they are versatile. They're both a threat and an answer. Yeah, that's a good point, and I think those are some cards that Wizards has mentioned being designed pretty much uh, for best of one, or at least with best of one in mind, giving you uh, the ability to have some more uh, narrow effects in your main deck, as long as one side of the split card is kind of relevant in most matchups. You can get away with having uh, destroy, target, non-basic <laughs> land, and stuff like that in your main deck, which you couldn't actually do otherwise, yeah. which is kind of nice. It, it's... It, it's cool seeing those kind of cards. Uh, so, Well, let's move on. We have one more topic uh, that we got to get to today, which is our hot news of the day. Banded restricted announcement went up. Uh, no changes, which I think is probably the most common prediction. If you look on Reddit and social media, I think most people expected no changes for this BNR update. Uh, Seth, were you expecting any bannings or were you in the, the no changes camp? But especially for modern, I guess, in specific is probably where most of the conversation has been recently. Yeah, I was, I wasn't expecting any changes. And so, like, it seems like there's been so much happening. 
Um, I get that maybe because I'm going back to the MPL, that's new to me. Um, so that kind of is, is a little bit of a different subject, but also Modern Horizons like is going to be coming coming in and there's going to be new cards entering the format. So it may be that Wizards wants to, rather than ban or unban something, they might want to change the format by just printing new new cards. Uh, and that's a completely new concept to us. So I kind of had the feeling that because of that and the recent banning, relatively recent in my mind, banning of KCI, Clan Ironworks, I didn't really expect a major shift at this particular time in Modern. But interestingly enough, when we looked at the announcement, they talked a lot about Nexus of Fate because that was that was kind of the most recent banning, but not really a banning. It was just banned specifically on MTG Arena for best of one. Yeah, the Nexus of Fate question is kind of interesting. Do you think there's any any reason to actually consider banning that in standard altogether, Seth? Uh, or at this point, we're getting to six months until rotation. Do we just kind of t- ride it out at this point and try to avoid having that kind of effect show up in standard again? I... I don't like the card personally, so that might make me a little bit biased. <laughs> but just the idea of, you know, shuffling your deck every single time, like the the amount of time that goes into it, it's just it's tedious for me. Like they're foil cards that weren't even in like a real set, as far as I'm concerned. I I don't know. I I I don't really like it. <laughs> so like if if it was something a little bit. If it was a different card, I would ha- maybe have a different answer, but I, w- I would love them to just have just Nyx Nex as a fate, but there's always going to be th- those people that picked up a standard card, and banning a card from standard after, like, that's that's rough. If you if you just bought your Nexuses for 20 a pop, and then, they're like, that's that's kind of, like, if, if they're banning them on Arena, they can just replace them with Mythic Wild cards, no harm, no foul. <clears throat> Yeah, no, that's, I guess that's one of the upsides of Arena, and that's true, like, traditionally, Standard doesn't get that many bannings, I think maybe, uh, people have a different expectation, because the last couple of years we had so many bannings that maybe people are more, uh, in favor of bannings now in a weird way, just because it kinda became the norm for a while with Kaladash Block and all, even Shadows of Rinistrad with Emrakul, uh, so, it is painful, though, and that's easy to forget, I remember, getting uh, messages from people uh, when Emrakul was banned, like, I'm 15 years old, I bought a place out of Emrakul so I could build, uh, I forget the Golgari yep. deck at the time, the Golgari Graveyard deck, uh, and now I, like, I can't play Magic now. They banned the card that made my deck work. I spent all my birthday money on this card, so uh, I could see erring on the side of not banning things, just because it is pretty painful, and it's easy for people like us to forget that, I guess, when you're in the MPL or when you play Magic for a living and have all the cards you need on Arena and Magic Online, it's a little different when you're 15 years old and trying to scrape together a deck for yeah, F&M that, or whatever. That, I would feel miserable if that happened to me growing up, right? Like, I, I thought about it, like, how I, like, saved all my lunch money to buy cards, and and then if that got, and then if it got banned, oh, that's brutal. And, and the oh. one thing about Nexus of Fate, going back to that, is that there are... You have to respect that, like, for myself, right? Like, I don't like the card, but keeping certain strategies that are different and unique in the format has benefit. Like, if you, if you take out the Nexus, then that's just like, it could, like, a, 
a whole deck, a whole archetype just gone from the from the entire format. Yeah, that's so in some ways, even though people tend to not like the deck, it, I guess it is good for the <laughs> diversity of the format to have another top-tier deck <laughs> built around Nexus of Fate. Uh, I, I still think most people would prefer it to be gone, though. I don't know if I've, <laughs> I can remember a card that has been more hated in standard than Nexus of Fate. People just remember all like that, that fairy hate. I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you lucked out, Krim. People, people somehow uh, got the target on Nexus now, so you're not getting banned. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's honestly, you make a great point there. Because it's honestly the 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 same situation as we saw in modern. Like the target was on KCI, right? Yep. And now that KCI got banned, now the target shifts, right? Because yep. KCI is already banned. <laughs> and now everyone's like, "Well, what's the next thing? Well, Faithless Looting needs to go. Dredge and Phoenix and all this other stuff." And it's like, "What? Oh, there's always going to be something that needs to get banned." <laughs> which is, which is fair. I mean. So that that is that is true. There's always something. One more modern thing before we wrap up for today, and that is uh, this new mulligan rule. And you're one of the MPL players, Seth, so that means you will be at Mythic Championship London, I presume, playing in this grand mulligan test in the modern format. Uh, what do you think of this proposed mulligan rule? Are you in the camp where this is going to have a huge impact on modern and change the way decks are built and overpower combo decks and all this stuff? Or are you kind of in the other side where you're like, eh, it's modern, it's going to be fine, it's not as bad as people think? Where do you come down on that argument? Well, you happen to be talking to someone that hates to mulligan. So I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure that this rule is going to benefit me. Um, but yeah. They are calling it the London Mulligan Rule. I think it's going to, it's going to slightly benefit decks that Mulligan more often, right? Um, because it's it's a way of smoothing, smoothing out games. And so if the if decks like if you're a Tron deck and you like and you molly like that deck actually Mulligans a reasonable amount. So like mulling to it to a four card hand but you can just like three of those cards are the tron lands and your other card is a card does that how how much does that matter that you mulligan to four so i think it's going to be interesting i don't think it's going to be a huge shift but like the thing is is that modern the percentages between decks are so like like i i i sometimes think of like modern as this format where you can play any deck right so now, if a, if one deck is getting, you know, a couple percentage points, that's actually a pretty big deal. Yeah, that's, that is, uh, is very true. Do you think this will, so I'm probably asking the wrong person, cause you're almost infamous for your <laughs> hatred of mulliganing and keeping everything possible. Uh, but do you think this rule will impact your deck selection for the pro tour? Like, are you going to be heading into Mythic Championship London thinking, I need to find a way to break this new mulligan rule and take advantage of it, or do you just kind of do what you normally do? Yeah, I think it. I think it will. I mean, certainly it's going to be something that I'll. I'm going to be thinking about. It's. I'm the guinea pig for this, right? So like, I don't know how to test for. Like, I can't really test this, and except like in person. But like, also, it, there's a, there's a bunch of variables. I don't know how much I'm going to be able to fully comprehend what this means so it could be that i that i also could overanalyze what's going to happen like if i suspect that a deck like tron just just pulling tron out as an example but say 
say Tron is the deck that I feel like gains the most from this mulligan rule, and I am going, I think that, like, it's going to be a large percentage of the field, then you can also go the other way and just play some random deck with blood moons in it. It doesn't have to benefit at all from the, from the rule. You just are going to anticipate the metagame and feel like this mulligan rule isn't going to really be that big of a deal. <clears throat> well, to bring this back around to where we started, how about the mulligan rules impact on sideboarding? Do you think this uh, greatly changes the value of like ley lines is an example that comes up a lot that you can always mulligan into your ley line under this rule or whatever? Do you think this is going to have a big impact on modern sideboarding if this rule actually goes into effect? Yeah, the ley lines in particular are seem pretty busted. Like I would be very scared. I'm I'm very scared of playing a deck like like Dredge that like. You can basically just automatically, automatically find a ley line if you want it, right? Like, if you put four of them in your deck, I don't know the percentages, right? Obviously, it's not automatic, but if you get to, if you get to play against Dredge and you have these ley lines in your deck, you can, or, because, I'm using Dredge because Dredge is a deck that can't beat a ley line if it's in play. You, you absolutely just have to get rid of it. So, like, you know that each game, if your opponent has ley lines on their sideboard, they're probably going to be starting one with one in play because they, you can afford to now go to four, go to three, go to like however however far down the totem pole, and yeah. So the ley lines definitely get better. I think we'll be seeing more of those. We'll be seeing more of. It doesn't necessarily have to be a four of in your sideboard. But if you play against a combo deck or a deck that you have a sideboard card that is going to almost win you the game if you draw it, you're going to see people just mulligan to that card. Because if you have a couple copies of a card that is killer in a matchup, people are just, you're just going to mulligan to it, and that's going to be a reasonable reasonable strategy. Find that stony silence <laughs> against like affinity if you have to. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's going to definitely be interesting. I'm very curious to see how this plays out. I'm also curious to see if anyone goes really deep to take advantage of it, because there are cards like Restore Balance, uh, Ensnaring Bridge, cards that actually kind of incentivize you to have less cards in your hand. So I'm abnormally excited for this Pro Tour or Mythic Championship, I guess. Uh, I, I'm not 100% convinced the rule will be a positive for the format, but I'm definitely very curious to see how this plays out and see what people do uh, with this new mulligan rule, because it should be very interesting, uh, at on, least. On a personal note, going back to the, the BNR announcement, I am happy that there were no changes, because that means that I can just focus on this London mulligan rule and what it means, and I don't have to worry about the actual cards changing as well, so that's at least the... That's one bonus that comes out of this. I... I think that actually might be one of the reasons there wasn't a change. There, some people are talking Faithless Looting, Ancient Stirrings, everyone always talks about Mox Opal, but I think Wizards, I mean, maybe intentionally is not making a change because it could skew the data on this mulligan test, and if, you, if you're going to have a Pro Tour to test this rule, uh, you really want to be able to compare what the format looked like with the old rule to what the format look like uh, looks like at Mythic Championship London, and if you throw away random banning in the middle of that, it's possible that it's the banning that would skew the data instead of the mulligan rule. So I almost feel like you just couldn't ban anything at this BNR and still maintain like the integrity of the mulligan yep. rule test. Yeah, it's 
it's clear that they have put effort into thinking about this mulligan rule on the Watsy side of things, and so it's going to be interesting. I I want to see how it plays out. Like, it's possible that there's just one deck that everyone's like not fully thinking about that just like got crazy, like crazy good for, with the rule. But keep in mind, like they did this at for the last mulligan rule, I believe, which was the. However many years ago, it's like when it was scrying after your your mulligan, and that was that was a new concept for some of us, right? And that was the the latest um, change that they made. And we've seen in on arena, they're actually doing hand smoothing for your for your draws to try to make it so that you're less likely to mulligan. So there's d- definitely being an effort on the Wizards of the Ghost side to make it so that games can be more interactive games and not just, all right, I'm getting mana screwed or or flooded. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's a good goal. Those are some of the least fun games or the games where you don't actually play Magic because you just have all lands or no lands. So it it seems like a, a worthy goal to try to minimize those games. We'll see what this exact mulligan rule does to older formats. I'm really excited for it for uh, limited and standard. It seems like, uh, I, and I haven't tested it either. That's one of the challenges. It's not on Magic Online or on Magic Arena, so there isn't really a way to play with it outside of in paper. Uh, but it feels like it should be good for standard and limited. Fingers crossed for older formats that nothing breaks. If nothing breaks, it does seem like it will lead to more fun games of Magic and less mulligan non-games, which is probably a pretty good thing overall. It, it also doesn't make you feel so discouraged. Like, whenever I take a mulligan, I just put my head down. I Like, this is over. <laughs> like, I have to mulligan. But now it's like... I'm playing a deck where I like I get to you actually get to make decisions off the mulligan, right? And I this is a part of it that I don't think ple- people are thinking about, but you actually have to choose which cards you want to keep and that's another that's another skill element, right? Where you have to think about all right, you have to like how are these turns going to play out cuz I only have, you know, four or five cards or however however much you mulligan to. So you, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting and I I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. I want to, I, most of me wants to play a deck, to be honest with you, that mul- wants to mulligan. Cause I want to be mulliganing in this, <laughs> I just want to mulligan. I want to feel it. Like, I don't <laughs> want to go through the tournament and mulligan like one time, right? Like, that's just not going to be fun. <laughs> Oh, man. And if you know that if Seth is saying that, that this rule is actually having an impact. I mean, yeah, that'll that'll look Uh, like Grishel brand, right? Anyway. (laughs) You can try to dig for that. Anyway, I think that pretty much wraps us up for today. We're not going to do fish mail this week. If you had questions in, don't worry. When Richard is back next week, uh, we'll get to your fish mail. So, uh... On the way out the door today, anything else uh, while you're here, Seth? And definitely plug your course and your uh, content yeah, one more so, time. Well, I was here because you all were gracious enough to invite me on the show, first of all. So I appreciate that. Um, I've enjoyed talking with you. I'm big, a big fan of MTG Goldfish and everything you all put together. Um, and so Spikes Academy, as you mentioned, they are a sponsor of the podcast, I believe. But... Beyond that, like I've recorded a course with them. They've they've worked with great MTG minds, right? Pro players specifically, and I'm one of them. My course just within the past week has become available on Spikes Academy. And if you want to see me, 
you want to hear my voice, you want to hear about sideboarding, if you've ever, like, I know, I know if you're listening to this, I almost guarantee it that you've had questions about sideboarding. Like, everyone has them, right? So, it's just, it's just a thing. I, I honestly feel like it's, it's the subject that is the most discussed about, like, Whenever I'm asked a question, it's almost always about sideboarding. So I'm happy to bring that content to you, you all, the Magic community. It's worth it. It's worth the money. Um, and as far as catch me, Twitter, Twitch, TCG player, I'm gonna be around. I'm gonna be on. The, I'm playing for the Magic Pro League. So ho- I hope you'll see a lot of me. I'll be playing, you know, tournaments throughout the year. <clears throat> Yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Seth. It was definitely awesome to have you on. Talk about your course, talk about all the MPL stuff, and uh, yeah, definitely check out SpikesAcademy.com. They do sponsor the podcast. Uh, there are still, as far as I know, some 15% off discounts for new students uh, if you use the code the code sideboarding so uh thanks to spice academy for supporting the show again thank you so much to seth for coming on it was awesome to talk to you get your insight on all this stuff and uh with that out of the way i think that brings us to the end of episode 214 of the mtg goldfish podcast so we'll be back richard will be back next week uh until then have a wonderful week and this is the crew signing out